to the Beyond Addiction Show with Josh King. This program is designed to help those who are affected by substance use. Whether you are using, trying to stop, or a loved one who wants to help, there are many effective resources, and together we'll explore them and bring you hope. Now, here is your host, Dr. Josh King. Hello, and welcome back to the show. Today on our show, Dr. Daniel Lieberman and I are going to talk about the brain. This is going to be, uh, for those of you who are into these kinds of um, potentially geeky, I, I'm not going to lie, but uh, who are going to, who are into that idea of like figuring out and understanding the, how the brain works, we're going to go real deep into it. We're going to look at rewards and learning and specifically the impact that dopamine has on the brain. I talked about this uh, a while ago in an earlier episode, um, and people really wanted a more in-depth interview. So we've got a real dopamine expert here to discuss it all. He literally wrote the book on dopamine um, and and the brain. Um, so I'm really excited for that. If you missed last week's show, I, I talked with Julia Lurie of um, Mother Jones. And if you if you missed it, please go back and li- take a listen because it, it is such an important article that she wrote about rehab brokers. Um, and it, it's really, it's a system that takes advantage of people who are in need of help and support. And that's like, it's really something that you just need to know about. And one third of our country will be impacted by either substance use themselves or knowing someone and loving someone who is struggling with substance use. So this could be impacting you, and I want you to be an informed and educated consumer. So please, if you get a chance, go back, listen to that show, and if you are wondering, well, how do I find that show? Go to motivationandchange.com slash show. You go to motivationandchange.com slash show, you'll get to the show's homepage and you'll be able to see every one of the episodes. You'll be able to download them. You'll be able to find out where to subscribe. It's a great resource and it takes you into CMC's webpage, which has tons and tons of resources. So please go check it out and let's, let's make sure that everyone here is an informed and educated consumer. And next week on the show, we're going to be talking with Dr. Jeff Foote, who is one of the co-founders of CMC and CMC Berkshires and the CMC Foundation for Change. Clearly likes to work a lot. And he's going to talk to us a lot about um, coping skills that, that you can use and actually coping skills that he has used with athletes and um, you know, high performers. So this is stuff that, that has been used on all different levels. And I think that's going to be a great show. I'm really looking forward to it. So coming back to the idea of being an educated consumer, part of being an educated consumer is understanding all of the different types of treatment options that are out there. And that may be a kind of surprising thing for some people who are listening to this show. I I guess if you're technically, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you might already have a sense there's a lot out there treatment-wise. But for a lot of people, if this is your first time listening, for a lot of people, you don't know that there's a lot out there, that there's a lot of types of treatment out there. Why? Because you're not given that information. A lot of times what you're told, if you are new to the world of substance use, you're basically told, here's what you have to do. And that's it. 
this is what worked for me. This is what worked for my kid. This is what worked. I heard my friend did this and that's what you need to do. And then you're given one size, one thing, do this. But that's actually not the way that this world works. There's a ton of different options out there. And as being an educated consumer, you should know that. I mean, we spend more time researching uh, what kind of car we should buy and drive than we do actually spending time thinking about what kind of treatment we should be getting. And so we need to change that. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about the different, some of the different types of treatments that are out there. And I just want to think about, you know, does this make sense as, as the one size? So the first one that I'm going to say is, is AA. And AA and all the other uh, Anons that are out there, there's so many of them. There's Al-Anon, there's Narcotics Anonymous, which is NA, there's Cocaine Anonymous, which is CA, there's Crystal Meth Anonymous, CMA, Cocaine, uh, I'm sorry, Codependence Anonymous, which is CODA, C-O-D-A, Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous, S-L-A-A, and there's like literally maybe 25 more that you could just Google. And these are all traced back to a traditional 12-step model. And that traditional 12-step model began in 1936 with Bill Wilson and Bob Smith in Ohio. And they were revolutionary. I mean, I, I, there's no other way to put it. That was a revolutionary thing in the treatment of substance use. Because at the time, if you were addicted to anything, if you were um, a heavy drinker and that was in impacting your life, if you were using um, heroin or opiates or uh, other opiates, or if you were um, basically uh, stuck with any substance use, you were pretty much written off by society. And this was a game-changing thing to be able to say, here's something that you can do that can help. That can actually help change your relationship with substances and get you into back into your life. So that was amazing. And to be honest, it is the most ubiquitous and readily available model that, that we have. It's everywhere. There is an app that you can download for your iPhone or your Android phone that is called Steps Away. And it's one of many. But what it does, it finds your closest AA meeting. And here in New York City, where we have more AA meetings than just about any place else in the, in the world, and sometimes you can add up huge swaths of land and say how many meetings are there, and New York has more that are happening in one day than they have happening in a week. In New York, you could pull up that app and find endless number of meetings immediately that are happening in that moment. And so that's really a pretty amazing thing. And AA can be really valuable. You know, it brings people together. The community aspect is a hugely reinforcing. And for millions of people who this is the, the treatment that they are exposed to, it is very helpful. On the flip side, 12-step is not for everyone. There's a really strong spirituality aspect, the idea of a higher power. And you know, for a lot of people, they'll say, oh, higher power could be anything. It doesn't mean that it is um, religious. It doesn't mean that it's God. But for a strong percentage of the population, we know that having 
to hold that higher power as part of your treatment means that they're saying, you know what, I'm not so interested. And so then they're turned off. There's also, in many groups, they hold this uh, stronger than in other groups. And one of the nice things about AA is that there are lots of different types of groups and every group can be a little bit different. But for many of them, they hold rule number one of AA, maybe it's rule number two, but one of the first ones that says, you have to admit that you are powerless to your substance, that the substance that you have has total control over you and you are not trusted or not able to make choices because that substance is what's making the choices. And for a lot of people, that's just a huge barrier. I mean, if you're somebody who has not really struggled with alcohol before and now you're starting to and you feel like, all right, I'm catching this early. I want to make a change. And you come in and the first thing they say is, well, can, are you willing to say that you have no control over this? You might say, no, I'm, I'm not willing to say that. They, that's why I'm here. I chose this. I, I didn't get to that point. I, didn't, I wasn't forced to. I'm not court mandated to do this. And so that idea that you know, I have to admit that I'm powerless could be a barrier. And so for a lot of people, that doesn't work. But if that's all you're given, and that's the only option, what are you to do? And another option for treatment is wilderness programs. Well, wilderness programs cater mostly to teens and to young adults. And they center the, the idea behind it is that they take you out of your environment, they take you out into the woods, and they use a whole bunch of different methods. And it depends on, on the different wilderness program, what they're doing. Some of them are more 12 steps. Some of them are using different kinds of treatment modalities. But they're trying to change the way that you engage both with your life and with your substance use. So this is a really, it could be a really great thing for a lot of people. They go and they go out into the woods and they are, um, doing, uh, you know, learning how to use their hands and to tolerate uh, the discomfort of being out there and that they're doing all this. But let me ask you, does it sound like an appropriate referral for a 45-year-old woman who's married with kids to say, I'd like you to uproot your life and go out there into the wilderness and leave your kids, leave your family, go out there and start doing this work? Or does that sound like the right thing for a 65-year-old man who started drinking too much after he retired and he just couldn't figure out what to do with his life and was feeling depressed? Does it feel like wilderness is going to fit that person? No. But often, you sit down and you talk to the person who says, well, you know what really helped my son? They went to wilderness. So that's what you should do. Well, does that sound like the right choice for this guy? And then there's inpatient rehabs. Inpatient rehabs are usually a, a month-long, 28-day intensive therapeutic experience, and they can be outrageously helpful. You learn a ton of skills in a short period of time. You have space away from the community that you were using in, so you are... are you know, usually they're, they're in these lovely settings. And so you get to be out in, in the wilderness or not in the wilderness, but in the country or someplace beautiful and, you know, really relaxing and being able to get all of this uh, skills and, and time for your brain and your body to recover. And it's monitored sober time, right? You can't really use. That's great. 
Is that though the best choice for somebody who's never even met with a therapist? Or sending somebody to rehab, is that the best choice for an adolescent or a young adult who has never really struggled with substances and was experimenting with things and it's the first time that they really hit a bump along the road? It doesn't feel like it's an appropriate referral. And so all of this is to say that there isn't one size of treatment that fits everyone. It's not a one size fits all thing. So how do we decide, right? If you're listening to this and you said, I'm concerned though about my son or my daughter or my spouse, right? How would we ever decide what to do? Well, I would begin by talking to them, just talking and listening, asking them questions engaging with them. What do you think might be helpful? Let's look at things together. Let's discuss. What, what are you looking for? Maybe we want to start you know, with AA. Oh, but AA doesn't fit. You don't like AA. That doesn't mean that you've failed. That means, all right, well, let's try Smart Recovery, which is an alternative self-help group. Um, or maybe, maybe why don't you meet with a therapist who works with substance use, who's specifically trained in these types of treatments. Or maybe an addiction psychiatrist who can say, all right, here's some medications that might be able to help. The idea here is there are so many options that it doesn't make sense why you would say, well, I heard this worked for Janie's son, so that's what we're going to do. We're not even going to look at anything else. And I know it can feel overwhelming. I know it can feel scary to have to go in and start researching. But if you don't, you might be saying to your child, here's a size four shoe, and I know you have a size eight foot, but stick your foot into that shoe and make it fit. Well, it doesn't work that way. And we don't really want to keep pushing our kids or our family or people that we love or even ourselves, right? If I am looking for treatment for myself, I got to find something that fits me and not I have to shift to fit it. The last analogy I would leave you with is I think about this a lot because finding the right kind of treatment is a little bit like shopping for jeans. Just because the tag says it's your size doesn't mean that it's actually going to fit your body. Right? You have to try on different pairs of jeans because the jeans at the gap are not going to fit the same as the jeans from Levi's and they're not going to fit the same as the jeans from... Uh, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch. They're, they're all different places that have different cuts, different philosophies, and they are going to um, fit your body differently. And some of them are not going to feel great. Even though it says, oh, that's my size, that doesn't mean that it fits me. And for us to be able to do this, you have to try different things on, see how it fits, and then be open to trying different brands, different sizes, different cuts. And that's how it works with treatment. You go in and you say, all right, let me try AA. All right, this didn't work for me. Let me try something else. I'm not going to be stuck on the idea that one size fits all when it comes to treatment. So I hope that this helps everybody find ways to um, think about the, the idea of treatment a little bit different. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Dan Lieberman about Dopamine in the brain. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
CMC Foundation for Change is a new not-for-profit that is all about families helping families and parents helping parents through addiction from those who have been there. Over 111 million family members worldwide are affected in some way by addiction. CMC Foundation for Change helps give these families hope through support, education, and helpful resources. For more information about CMC Foundation for Change, please visit cmcffc.org on the web. That's cmcffc.org. Now there's a book for families who are looking to help loved ones. Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change is now available at Amazon.com. Available in hardcover, paperback, and on Kindle. Pick up your copy of Beyond Addiction today. If you are a parent or a partner who is seeking guidance in helping a loved one with substance use, be sure to pick up the 20-minute guide. This is a terrific resource, and proceeds help the CMC Foundation for Change. Visit the20minuteguide.com. That's 20minuteguide.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is the Beyond Addiction Show. If you have a question or comment about our show, be sure to send an email to beyondaddictionshow at joshkingpsyd.com. Again, that's beyondaddictionshow at joshkingpsyd.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. And with me now is Dr. Daniel Lieberman, who is a psychiatrist down in Washington, D.C., and he is the author of the book, The Molecule of More, really an awesome reference for anybody who's interested about the way the brain works. Um, it, it got listed as a, like one of the must-reads of scientific books for, I think, 2018. It, it, it was awesome, and I recommend it. And here is Dr. Dan Lieberman. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. It's great to be here. So, Dan, tell me a little bit about uh, just dopamine in the brain. How exactly does this function? Well, you know, a lot of people have heard of dopamine, and I think that the most common scenario one hears it in is as the pleasure molecule or perhaps the reward molecule. We get a burst of dopamine when we do things that feel good, like eating, having sex, winning competitions, and of course, using drugs. But what people don't know is that there is so much more to it. The dopamine circuits in our brain are absolutely essential to our survival. Evolution made them very, very strong, very potent. And that's why drugs that can essentially hijack this circuit have such intense, dangerous effects on people's lives. So what role does dopamine play in evolution? Like, what, 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 why do we have this? Well... 
Let me start with the old saying, either you have it or you don't. You've heard that before, I think, right? Yeah. It, it, to our evolutionary ancestors, that saying, either you have it or you don't, could very easily become either you have it or you're dead. From a survival point of view, there's a fundamental difference between resources that you have and resources that you don't have, but you need. And as a result of this, the brain evolved very separate pathways to manage things that we have, things we can consume, enjoy, appreciate, and things that we don't, things that we have to desire, pursue, chase after, plan to get. And what dopamine really is, is it is the chemical that coordinates the behavior of pursuing things that we want, but do not have. So can you give an example of, of what something like that might be? Sure. So um, imagine, for example, that you're hungry and you want a sandwich. You experience a desire for a sandwich. In, in the drug addiction literature, we will call that a craving. And everybody knows what that feels like. Sometimes it can be pleasant if you anticipate you're going to get something that you want. But at other times, craving can be very unpleasant. For example, if you decide you're going to start a new exercise routine, you set the alarm for 30 minutes early, it goes off and you get an intense craving for sleep. That's dopamine. Dopamine responsible not only for the anticipation, enthusiasm, and pleasure of wanting something and then getting it, but it's also responsible for the much less pleasant experience of craving because that's what gives us the energy and the motivation to go after the things we want. And in drug addiction, we know that craving can be so intense and so powerful that it will make people do things that they know good and well are destroying their life. So before we go into the, the substance piece of it, so you're saying that if I'm like walking down the street and I see a new store that is opened and I'm like, ooh, that, that looks cool. It, it's dopamine that's pulling me in there? It is, yeah. Anytime you see it, dopamine really is the neurotransmitter, the brain chemical of what's novel and what's new. Because things that are familiar are essentially things that you have from your brain's point of view. If you're walking down the street and you're seeing all the old familiar stores and shops and buildings, your dopamine system is at rest because everything has already essentially been discounted in terms of how valuable they are to you. Uh, as we described in the book, if all of a sudden you see a brand new bakery, your morning's gonna feel very different. There's going to be a sense of excitement, anticipation, and enthusiasm that you didn't have before, and that's dopamine. That's, it, it reminds me of, there's an Amelia Earhart uh, quote that says, anticipation, I suppose, sometimes exceeds realization. That's a great quote. Yes. You know, in the children's book, Winnie the Pooh, somebody asked Winnie the Pooh, what's your favorite thing of all? And he's about to say eating honey, but then it occurs to him that there is a moment just before he starts eating honey that's even better, but he doesn't know if it has a name. And it does. And, and its name is dopamine. Yeah. I, I mean, many of the people that we work with in groups, they'll, they'll talk about... Um, when they've decided to go and, and use that they're actually 
um, that's the part that is really exciting. And we had always thought about it as, oh, your brain is almost mimicking the use beforehand. And so you're getting the dopamine reward, like the pleasure idea. But what you're saying is, it's actually the seeking out of, I'm about to go get this thing and I'm anticipating it. And that's what it's, it's rewarding. That's right. And, and anticipating something is very different than having something. And I think that one clear example of this is what we call buyer's remorse. You can be so excited leading up to a significant purchase, for example, a new laptop or a new jacket and go online and do some research and look at it. Tons and tons of excitement. As soon as you get it, it shifts from the future to the present. Dopamine cannot manage things in the present. That's responsible for, uh, that's the responsibility of other brain chemicals. So as soon as you get what you anticipate, dopamine shuts down and people are sometimes surprised at how that feels. The thing they wanted so badly and they anticipated giving them so much pleasure, all of a sudden doesn't mean a whole lot to them. So what are those other chemicals that you're saying that give you sort of sustained um, enjoyment? In the book, we refer to them as the here and now neurotransmitters. It's the uh, chemicals we use to really appreciate and enjoy the things that we have. Lots of people are familiar with them. Um, they involve sensory experience, moods, and human relationships. So they include things like serotonin, oxytocin, endorphin, and endocannabinoid. A lot of people have heard of these, particularly endorphin, and they, they know that like dopamine, this is a pleasure molecule, but the subject of experience is very, very different. The pleasure associated with dopamine is one of excitement and wanting more. Um, nothing is ever enough for dopamine. As soon as it's stimulated, it pushes you on to get more. With endorphin and endocannabinoid, on the other hand, it's very different. It's more of a satisfying feeling, like I've reached my goal and now I can take a deep breath and bask in the satisfaction. You're there. There's nowhere else to go. That's really interesting because we, we often are saying um, exercise more. Like That's a really great way of uh, improving your mood and, and changing the way that you engage and, and staying away from substance use. And what you're saying is, in many ways, it's helpful because it's fighting the dopamine, which is searching for more and more and more of, you know, I want something and it's making you feel more satisfied with what you have. That's right. The dopamine and the here and now chemicals are in opposition to one another. They can work together, but that's a little bit tricky. Under ordinary circumstances, when one is active, the other is suppressed. So for example, you may be looking forward to a wonderful dinner. You sit down, you start eating, and you begin to think about what you're going to do after dinner. If you're doing that, you're not tasting the dinner. Your dopamine circuits, which are focused on the future, what's going to happen after dinner, are suppressing those here and now circuits that would give you the joy and satisfaction of enjoying your meal. So it works the other way too. If we can stimulate the endorphin through exercise, oxytocin through human relationships, we can suppress some of that dopamine that's driving the craving and the urges to use. Are people naturally born with more 
dopamine or more of the here and now chemicals? Is that just like a genetic thing? It is. It is. And in fact, we can even measure some of the genes. But apart from genes, we can see that people who uh, have lived a life that indicates they have a lot of dopamine, these are people who are driven. A lot of times they have a great deal of creativity. They are also more vulnerable to certain kinds of mental illness. If we identify people like this, their offspring are also likely to have dopaminergic personalities dopaminergic accomplishments, but also dopaminergic problems. Um, Is there some, so, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so we can also identify um, genes that are responsible for this. And if somebody has the gene, we can make some very interesting predictions about their life. For example, their likelihood of becoming an entrepreneur, an artist. We can even make predictions about their political ideology. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. We're going we're gonna to steer clear of any politics on this show today, but <laughs> that is a, that's a really interesting thing. Is there something that you can do, though, as, as a person to change the ratio of dopamine and here and now chemicals? It's difficult. It's very, very difficult. Um, but, you know, one of the most ancient pieces of wisdom is found at the Oracle of Delphi in ancient Greece, and that is know thyself. And I think that that's one of the biggest advantages this book, The Molecule of More, gives to readers. It allows them to recognize when the dopamine circuits are active and when the here and now circuits are active. And it allows people to take a step back and say, is this the mode I really want to be in? Is this a time for me to be focused on the future, focused on getting more, making things better, or is it a time for me to be focused on the present, enjoying my loved ones, enjoying what I've worked so hard for? And at least by recognizing it, one can make a decision about whether one's going to go with what the brain is doing or try to make some adjustments. I think that that's great advice. And that definitely um, jives with the way I think about things of, can I, can I have a little bit of space from the thoughts that I'm having and not hold them so tightly? Uh, which means, you know, when I'm holding them tightly, I have to act on them. But if I kind of can tolerate this discomfort, I can actually choose what I want to do. In the book, you talk a lot about dopamine in terms of uh, love. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so passionate love, which is perhaps one of the most intense emotional experiences we ever have, is a very dopaminergic phenomenon. Um, if you've been in love, you know what it feels like. It's full of excitement, enthusiasm, rosy visions of a perfect future. It's very much about more. No matter how much contact you have with that person you're passionately in love with, it's never enough. And it, it gives us a feeling that we have in some ways transcended ordinary reality and we've been launched into this world of perfection and um, infinite promise. The problem with this is it only lasts about 12 to 18 months. And once that time is up, love has got to transform into something else or it's going to go away. A lot of people don't know that. And when passionate love runs its course, they think it's over. And so one of the things that we want to do in the book is educate people about this and say, no, it's not over at all. In fact, 
this is an opportunity for love to enter a deeper, more enduring stage, but you've got to be able to recognize it and you've got to be able to know what to do. And so what, what can you do? What happens is passionate love evolves into something called companionate love. And that switches from dopamine to the here and now neurotransmitters, specifically oxytocin. Oxytocin is a hormone in the brain that we see not only in humans, but also in animals. Animals who produce oxytocin in their brain are ones who mate for life. So there are certain kinds of prairie voles that do this. There are certain kinds of birds that do it. And their behavior is characterized by mutual grooming, mutual raising of offspring, and just a desire to be very close together. It's the pleasure of having someone's life deeply entwined within your own, with your own. So it's not this crazy, passionate, excitement, enthusiasm of dopaminergic love, but rather it's this deep feeling of satisfaction and contentment. And that kind of thing can last a lifetime. And over time, it can get deeper and deeper and more and more satisfying. But it does take a lot more work than the crazy, passionate, dopaminergic love does. And as we know, people don't really like that kind of work. I mean, that work is not very pleasurable. It's not. And because dopamine is so important for survival, that circuit is intense. And so people who are in these long-term companionate relationships that require a lot of work and give more sedate pleasures, it's easier for them to be tempted by the possibility of another go on the merry-go-round, as we call it, uh, another 12 to 18 months of passionate love. And, and that's hard. It's hard to say no, but the payoff is enormous. There are very few pleasures in life that are as enduring as a long-term, deep, intimate relationship. Well, that. That is for sure. You know, to take this into the substance use world, I mean, you say that dopamine has a very specific job, which is maximizing resources that are going to be available to you in the future. And in other words, right, it gets you the things that you might want or need. For someone who's using substances, because let's just use the example that, that the substance helps reduce their anxiety. Now, they know that they could use coping skills, uh, which will help some, or they can call their dealer and get high, which will help a lot in the short term. Is dopamine playing a role in helping them decide, do I go for like short-term gain and long-term pain or short-term or long-term uh, gain and short-term pain? Does that make sense? Yeah. It, you know, it's a very complicated question. Um, so let's take this idea that people are using drugs because it decreases anxiety. That's, that's probably true, at least in the beginning. But what we know is that people develop tolerance to a lot of the positive aspects of these drugs, but they keep using the drugs anyway. Um, Patrick Kennedy, a former congressman from Rhode Island, who's uh, a major advocate for mental health research, um, suffered from drug abuse problem himself. And he says that it starts out where you're going for pleasure. Uh, it, it's like a fun party kind of thing. And after a while, that fades away. And it's no longer about partying. 
It's just about feeling normal. And I think the same thing is true with anxiety. In the beginning, it makes you feel relaxed, laid back. Everything is fine. But after a while, you lose that effect, but you keep using the drug. And that's the point of addiction. You're no longer using it for the good things it has to give you. You're using it to avoid the bad things that happen when you don't have it. And that's what the dopamine is. Um, you know, the dopamine is kind of what enslaves you into this drug uh, because of this phenomenon of craving. It feels like you can never make that unpleasant feeling go away unless you give in and use. That's really, that's a totally different way of thinking about this is that dopamine is also playing into the, how do I avoid having um, something uncomfortable? Because if it's, only about pleasure, it's about the, the pleasure of using, but now you're saying it's also about how do I avoid not or having something that, that doesn't feel good. That's right, and as you point out, there are other ways to overcome anxiety. There are coping mechanisms, there are pharmaceutical medications that work very well and are not addictive, but there are two differences between those and drugs of abuse. The first one is that the drug of abuse is a quick fix. It doesn't require any work the way coping mechanisms does. Um, it doesn't require patience the way pharmaceutical medications do. Um, it's easy and it's fast. But the other thing is, is that dopaminergic buzz, that reinforcement. And I think that people are deceiving themselves when they're saying, oh, I'm just using it because I'm anxious. It's really not true. They're using it because it's quick, it's easy, and it gives them a buzz. And people just really need to be honest with themselves and accept that um, the anxiety is not the whole story. Yeah, I think it's a both end, right? There is the anxiety and it does help with that. And it does all these other things, which is great. And it happens quick and it happens reliably. So it makes a lot of sense and you have to pay down the road. Um, one other question about dopamine uh, can life events like serious trauma influence the brain's production of dopamine? I mean, one of the things I was thinking about with this was survivors of the Holocaust who uh, then are hoarding you know, food products and canned foods and all these things because I've been through this and that sounds like a very dopamine, like more, 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 because I never know when that's going to happen again. It, it's complicated. You know, we've been talking about the here and now neurotransmitters such as endorphin and endocannabinoid in terms of giving um, satisfying contentment. But there are other here and now neurotransmitters, for example, norepinephrine. That's what adrenaline is called when it's found inside the brain. That's responsible for the fight or flight reaction. Fight or flight is also something that happens in the present moment. Fight or flight is really not about planning. Uh, it's about reacting instinctively without thought. And when people experience trauma, a lot of what happens is that the fight or flight mechanism gets stuck in the on mode. And so they're going through life constantly feeling as if they're under stress. Now, dopamine actually opposes that. And um, dopamine takes you into a very cold, logical, rational, non-emotional state. In the book, we have a story about a sailor 
Goku's um, rudder breaks down and he's being, he's being pushed by the wind into this reef. And he feels like he's about to panic, jump off the boat, act instinctively in ways that are going to be very, very unhelpful. But all of a sudden, his dopamine system kicks in and his mind clears, his emotions go away, and he begins thinking very, very logically. And he, he gets himself out of the situation. And as soon as he's back to safety, dopamine turns off, the emotions come rushing back, and he starts sobbing and shaking uncontrollably. So I think that trauma is really about um, inappropriate activation of norepinephrine, the here and now chemical of fight or flight. That's interesting. And it sounds like dopamine also would play a role in what we would normally say, oh, that sailor, he, that was the adrenaline rush. And then afterwards it was, you know, the come down, but you're saying actually it was a dopamine rush and afterwards was the come down. Exactly. It was dopamine suppressing adrenaline, allowing him to act not out of emotion, but out of rational decision-making. One other thing that you talked about in the book that I thought was just so fascinating was that uh, dopamine is really uh, connected with learning, associative learning. And that, uh, you know, when you use a substance, it's like a cruise missile right to that associative space. Yeah, that's right. You know, dopamine goes off when we see something new that has a positive effect on our ability to survive and prosper in the future. That's a time when all of a sudden we should say, hey, wake up, pay attention. This is very, very important. So for example, if you're at a party, you're meeting a bunch of people, you know you're not gonna remember a lot of names. But if you're looking for a job and there's a woman there who's a CEO of a company that has a job opening available, that's gonna set off dopamine and you're probably going to remember her name because all of a sudden your brain cells, your brain connections are going to become more fluid, more open to making new connections. When you use drugs, you're artificially turning on this dopamine system and it really confuses the brain. It, first of all, it makes you think that there's nothing more important than using drugs because this is a system that is responsible for gauging how important everyday activity is. If you're slamming it with this chemical blast from a drug, it's going to get very confused. But the other thing is that it's going to, your brain is going to start believing that dopamine is the best tool for every single situation that you're in. So if you wanna celebrate, use drugs. If you're feeling sad, use drugs. With friends, drugs, alone, drugs feeling powerful, weak, stressed out, confident, no matter what, you use drugs. And the reason is, is because every time you use the system, it hits the dopamine system and that makes the brain associate that particular situation with the drug. Such a helpful way of thinking about it because so many people would say, no, you're just selfish or it's a moral failing or it's, it's weak-willed or you just want to be high. And what you're saying is, no, from your brain chemistry, you're hitting this thing that says, do it again, do it again, do it again. And so you're really at a place that says, this is the most important thing I could do right now. Exactly. You know, imagine you're on a game show, like let's make a deal and somebody offers you an envelope with $10 or a box with $10,000.
it's very obvious which one you're going to choose. And that's going to be based on the processing of the situation by your dopamine circuits. Now, when we see somebody take their rent money and spend it on crack, from the outside, that appears to be irrational. Why are these people risking being homeless in order to put a chemical in their brain that's destroying their life? That makes no sense. But from the inside, it makes perfect sense because the crack triggers more dopamine than paying the rent. Just like the big box with $10,000 in it triggers more dopamine than the envelope with $10. And so it appears that these people, as you say, are being selfish, they're being foolish, they're being stupid. But the way their brain is processing all of these choices, it feels perfectly logical. Dan, this is so interesting. I could keep talking to you about this for just forever. I, I think this is great. Um, but unfortunately, we have to end. So how can people find you? Where can they find more information about you? And where can they find your awesome book? They can find more about me at my website, danielzlieberman.com. And The Molecule of More is on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. Uh, we're in most independent bookstores. So hopefully, it'll be very easy to find. The Molecule of More. And if you're in the D.C. area and you need, you need someone, this is, this is your guy. Thank you so much, Dan. This is awesome. And uh, really, if you got more information about this, let's, let's do this again. Thanks, Josh. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a book for families who are looking to help loved ones. Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change is now available at Amazon.com. Available in hardcover, paperback, and on Kindle. Pick up your copy of Beyond Addiction today. If you are a parent or a partner who is seeking guidance in helping a loved one with substance use, be sure to pick up the 20-minute guide. This is a terrific resource, and proceeds help the CMC Foundation for Change. Visit the20minuteguide.com. That's 20minuteguide.com. CMC Foundation for Change is a new not-for-profit that is all about families helping families and parents helping parents through addiction from those who have been there. Over 111 million family members worldwide are affected in some way by addiction. CMC Foundation for Change helps give these families hope through support, education, and helpful resources. For more information about CMC Foundation for Change, please visit cmcffc.org on the web. That's cmcffc.org. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
This is the Beyond Addiction Show. If you have a question or comment about our show, be sure to send an email to beyondaddictionshow at joshkingpsyd.com. Again, that's beyondaddictionshow at joshkingpsyd.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. And that was that was so interesting. <laughs> Got it. I can talk about that stuff forever. I think it's so interesting. And I think it takes so much of the way that we think about substance use and just turns it on its head. Because it says, all right, the the idea that this is like a moral failing or you're just weak-willed or you you can't tough through it. No, like that's nonsense. It does not hold up to the science. Your brain is actually doing something that it thinks makes a lot of sense. And we have to always remember these things between our ears were developed, were evolved for not our society today. They were developed and evolved for the, the savannas of Africa where we could, where we had to, um, find ways to survive. And that's what it's doing. And so when we're doing things today and we're getting, you know, a, a substance, a drug that is going to, you know, bang on that dopamine circuit, it's going to change the way that we engage with the world. And that's not a problem, not a problem that you have. It's a, a problem for our society. We have to kind of think through what we do with that. But it's not like, oh, man, you're just, there's something wrong with you. And I just would love to be able to get rid of that idea, the us versus them idea that is so pervasive in this world. It's, it's bothersome, especially when you hear the science. The science doesn't back up that idea. So I'm just so grateful that we could get um, Dan Lieberman on here. And I, I just so recommend the book. It's written really well. It's uh, very easy to read and to understand and to connect with. Um, the, the chapter on love is just so interesting and, and thinking about that idea of I've got these chemicals in my brain that kind of counteract one another and that they push me towards things and they pull me away from them and they give me satisfaction in my life. Like, oh, brains, so interesting. I just... I love it. All right. You got, all got to hear me geek out just a little bit too much on, on, on the brain. It's so cool. Um, anyway, next week, we're going to be talking to Dr. Jeff Foote. I said he is the co-founder of CMC. He's also a former team psychologist for the New York Mets and has done a ton of work with baseball players and with athletes and um one of the things that I want to talk with him about is just this idea that so many people are reluctant to use coping skills, to use these things because they say, oh man, like I, I don't want to have to need that. But actually he's, he's used them with the, the highest performing people, you know, people who are standing in front of 50,000 fans a night and have to perform as best they can. And those people are using these coping skills. So how do we help them use them? What kind of skills are they using? And can we use the same ones? And hopefully that's going to help everybody feel like, you know, if, uh, if the, the, the Mets can use that, they can go to the World Series and play on the biggest stage there is, I can use this to kind of get through my day, right? Feels like if, you know, if they can do it, 
I can do it too. And that's actually how accessible these coping skills are. So I'm really looking forward to that. We've got such a cool season uh, planned. The, the number of people who are coming on this show who are um, just going to be so interesting. I, I'm so pumped. I'm excited for everybody who is going to be able to hear it. I'm excited to do it. I mean, this, this interview today, it's exciting. Um, if you have questions that you want me to answer on the air, please email them beyondaddictionshow at joshkingpsyd.com or you can um, or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at DocJoshKing or you can find CMC on Twitter at underscore the CMC or you can Facebook us. We're on Facebook. Look up the Center for Motivation and Change on Facebook and send us a message. I, I'll find it and I will definitely answer your question because it's important to me that we help the, the listeners of this show feel like they're getting what they need. And so I'm looking forward to this. If you haven't heard all of the episodes, go back, check us out. You can find out more about the show at motivationandchange.com slash show. Everybody who listened till the end here, that's a pretty amazing thing. <laughs> it's probably my wife and my two kids, Molly and Edie. Thanks for listening. Um, and everybody else, you know, if you have listened, thank you. And if you feel like you listen all the way to the end and you're like, wow, this is good. It's not bad. Please go on and rate us five stars. That's how more people are going to find out about this. So please, please, please give us that rating and review. It really, I really appreciate it when anybody does that. It, it really helps get this show out to more people. And you know what? We need this information out there. So until next time, I am Dr. Josh King, and this is the Beyond Addiction Show. See you next week. Thank you for joining us this week for the Beyond Addiction Show. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until the next program, we wish you encouragement and hope. 